Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And remember Wednesday night, Brother Pat Phillips will be preaching for us again. What a message we heard last Wednesday night. My, 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 that was... Man, I'm telling you, he's getting almost as good as me. He just keeps getting better. I told him that the other day. I said, boy, you you about to become an evangelist. I'm telling you, I've got great respect. One of my very uh, best preacher friends in the world and one of my favorite preachers. I've been enjoying his ministry for years. And uh, we kid each other a lot. That also was a joke. All right, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things we, which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also being or bearing them witness with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. Please notice in verse 3 these words, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? When I read this passage of Scripture early this morning, I don't know, I couldn't get my mind off of it. I I wasn't even planning on preaching this, but I read that, and as a result, I came up with this sermon. Uh, and it's not—it's not a deep sermon. It's not a, a, a catchy title. It's just simply this great salvation. When I get to thinking about this great salvation that I have, something gets excited inside of me. I am very excited about my salvation. I wonder if you could just love him right now. And One more time, clap your hands to the Lord, then you can be seated. Probably never seen a preacher put a hearing aid in his ear. I don't normally do that, but I can't wear the mask and my hearing aids at the same time. They get all tangled up and they fly off and I don't even know they've come out of my ear. And they're very expensive, so I just wear a mask without my hearing aids. And I noticed that I wasn't hearing good up here just a moment ago and I realized that I need to install them so you just probably saw that for the first time in your life and I don't care it don't bother me uh, all of you guys are listening out you may stop your uh, support from my ministry all those millions of dollars that come in 
through our podcast or our FaceTime life may stop, but I won't even notice it if it does. Some believers believe that if humankind is left to its own, that the results will be positive and good. Religion says, I can get to God by myself, on my own. But salvation says, only through Jesus Christ can we get to God and find salvation. Religion says, you can get to heaven by your works. But salvation says, it is by grace that we are saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There was a town which had an old clock which had been broken and it needed repair. The town council uh, started trying to fix and they, uh, the clock and they added new weights. They replaced the cover. They even installed new hands on the clock, but they couldn't get it running. A little boy who had been watching the workers work on this big clock told the mayor he was standing by. He said, all that clock needs is just new insides. And this is also true to what you and I need in this world in an attempt to live for God. If we're going to live for God, we're going to have to have some new inside. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 3 that you must be born again. Before sinful man can come before a holy God, there has to be a change in the heart. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I love this salvation experience. When you get born again, you become a new creature. You don't act like you used to act. You don't think like you used to think. You don't talk like you used to talk. You don't look like you used to look. And you don't go and hang out with people you used to hang out with. Brother Mike used to be a druggie. He sold drugs, and and I thank God he didn't mind me saying this. Uh, he never has bowed up on me yet when I point him out and tell everybody uh, what his past was. He was just an old druggie selling drugs and got caught and spent some time. And, and uh, I'm going to tell you, according to what he told me back in those days, he wasn't the kind of guy I wanted to be my fishing and hunting buddy. 
He would not have been the guy that I spent all my time uh, going out to eat and fellowshipping because that was not the kind of lifestyle I wanted to adapt to. That was not the way I wanted to live. And so I probably would not have hung around you, Brother Mike, but there's something about the power of the Holy Ghost. When you get filled with God and you get new insides, it makes a man you don't want to be with become a man you just can't wait to get around. When you change, when you get filled with God, the old man is pushed out. The house is cleaned out. The spirit is changed. The attitude is changed. The, the, the mouth has cleaned up. The thinking has cleaned up. And honey, you just become the best husband that there ever was and the best wife there's ever been when you get God on the inside. When you get those new insides, uh, you get filled with the Holy Ghost and become a new creature you're changed and you're different. And thank God for that. It's that salvation that God gives us that makes that difference. Salvation is the key and central concept of Christianity. If you don't have the power of the Holy Ghost, if you don't have God living inside of you, all you are is just what you claim to be or what you say and you're not really that because you can't do it on your own one could argue that this is the most important thing with which we must deal with in our lives we toss the term about and make professions of whether we are saved or not I've seen many arguments over this, and, and yet most people are not really sure what it means to have salvation. Too many have this concept, and it's related to the question of whether we will go to heaven or not when we die. The answer that some people give to this question, are you saved, show that they think it is a reward for having more credits of good things than debits for sins, that we have uh, the opportunity to go to heaven. I know that God is happy for me being good and doing good things, and He's troubled and disturbed when I'm bad and do bad things. And I'm thankful that I am doing more good things than I am bad. I'm thankful. My wife is thankful. And I know you're thankful. But that's not going to get me to heaven. It's good that I'm good. It's good that we do good things. But Jesus made it very clear in John chapter 3 that if you want to see it and you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. That born-again experience literally gives us new insides. It changes the clock. It changes our spirits and our attitudes. And if we have been paying close attention in Sunday school and church, 
then we will likely mention something about the importance of being in Jesus as opposed to good works as the means of our salvation. Toward the end of the chapter, uh, chapter 2 of John's Gospel, we see an interesting statement in verse 23 regarding the response that some people had to the signs uh, Jesus was doing during his time. John wrote that many believed in his name. That raises a very important question. Were these people, because they merely believed in his name, were these people saved? To adequately answer this question, we find some help in looking at the way Jesus responded to their belief. In verse 24, we see that Jesus did not entrust, which means commit himself to them. The words believed and entrust or commit are the same Greek words. As Warren Wisby wrote in the Bible exposition commentary, these people believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not believe in them. They were unsaved believers because they were not hearing and receiving and adhering to what Jesus said we needed to do to enter into the kingdom of God. I am convinced that it's very plain in John chapter 3 that Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God. A lot of people want to make it a physical, uh, earthly, human experience. And uh, like Nicodemus, they cannot understand born again of water and of spirit. Nicodemus was, was confused thinking that Jesus wanted him to go back into his mother's womb and be born again. And there are many people that try to explain it away by saying you were born in water when you were born. And uh, they just say that's what he was talking about. But the word again was used. He said again in water and in spirit. That first birth does not apply because he said you got to be born again. That born again experience comes about when you get out of the fleshly realm and stop thinking the fleshly mechanics and start looking at the spiritual that says if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you got to get baptized in water and filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. Well, I love that great salvation because I've seen what it does to people when they get the salvation. This is a great experience. I look around at this congregation today, and we've got ex-gang members and ex-druggies and ex-liars and uh, ex-everything in this, in this building today, just about. And, and I look at you now in a different, through different eyes because I don't see you as you were. We see you differently than you were. And God sees you differently than you were. And the only reason he can see you differently now is because you've been born again. 
You got some new insides and your clock is running so much better. Hallelujah. The story is told of the time that Albert Einstein was taking a train to an out-of-town engagement and the conductor stopped by to punch his ticket. But the great scientist explained to him, he said, I can't find my ticket. It's not in my coat. It's not in my briefcase. The conductor looked at him and said, Hey, Dr. Einstein, we all know you. You ride on the train all the time. I'm very sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. I don't have to punch it. But as the conductor moved along, he looked back and he saw Einstein on his hands and knees searching under the seat for that ticket. The conductor walked back and he said, Dr. Einstein, please don't worry about your ticket. I know who you are and I trust you. I know you bought a ticket. But with a, an exasperated look, Einstein looked up to him and said, I too know who I am, but I don't know where I'm going. He was trying to find that ticket where he could remember where he was going. A lot of times we may know who we are, but do we know where we're going? We better know where we're going. We better make up our mind that I'm on my way to heaven and I know without a doubt I'm going to go there. My goal and my life ambition is to be saved. There's a lot of Christians that know who they are. They are children of God, but they don't quite know where they're going. They seem to wander aimlessly about in their faith, just like the Hebrews in the wilderness. We have salvation. We know we are children of God. We know we are on our way to heaven. But what we do know and where do we is where do we go in the meantime? Or what we don't know is where do we go in the meantime? A woman called a preacher of a very large conservative church in Washington State, she told him that she and her husband and three children had just moved to the area and were looking for a church. She asked, what can your church offer us? The preacher responded, ma'am, you have this backwards. What can you offer us as members of our congregation. She was a bit taken back. And the woman said. I have three small children. We need a church. With a good children's ministry. What can you offer us? Again. The preacher turned it back on her. And. He said. I think we will. She said. I, I think we'll look elsewhere. We probably wouldn't be happy at your church and he looked at her and said ma'am you're probably right and she didn't come a problem in american churches is the thinking of some who say what have or can you do for me and how can you help me you need to entertain me or you me you may uh 
be a substandard preacher, a musician, or a praise singer, or a praise leader. And if you don't entertain me, I will go somewhere else. The problem may not be the leaders as much as it is the hearers. Some act like customers instead of investing in the future of the congregation and making it what we envision, not not just the traditions over scripture or culture. John Maxwell, Maxwell once said, we are educated above our level of obedience. We take it in. We feed ourselves. But we keep it to ourselves. If our salvation really is so great, let us put it to the test. And see if it can stand during those tough times. Number one, we need to look about the water test. Can the water sink it? When you look in Genesis chapter 6, Noah was a just man. Perfect in his generation. And the Bible says Noah walked with God. God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt. God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence. And behold, I will destroy them on the earth. Make thee a gopher, an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without. Noah obeyed God, and he and his family were spared from God's judgment of the flood. So we see that if you truly love God and are submitted to Him and listen to Him and obey Him, even the flood waters can't destroy your salvation. It doesn't matter what comes against you. In the meantime, you're going to stand still and hear the voice of God. You're going to listen and you're going to make it because you can't drown this experience out. You cannot wash this salvation away. You cannot destroy it by mere water. It's got to come because of the lack of the love that we have for God. And then there's another test that you can bring your salvation before and see what you're made of, and that's the fire test. I'm here to tell you that you can't burn out this salvation if you love God the way you should. Somebody ought to shout amen. In Daniel 3 and 8, King Nebuchadnezzar had a golden statue erected and proclaimed that anyone who did not bow would die. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow, and they were brought before the king, and the king asked them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not bow? And there was something inside of those young men that caused them to respond this way. They answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this manner. It is, uh, if, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us 
from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us. I tried to figure out how they could say that one day. And I began to look at it a little deeper. And in my study, I realized they were telling him he will deliver us. They knew that they were probably going to die. They weren't expecting God to deliver them. They knew he could, but they were saying, he's going to deliver us from you. He's going to take you out of our lives. We're not going to have to deal with you again. And so you throw us in the fiery furnace, but we're not going to bow. And he will deliver us from you. We're going to be taken out of here. We're going to be dead. But if he doesn't, just remember, O king, that we will not bow uh, to your image and we will not worship that image which you've set up. And Nebuchadnezzar became, the Bible says, full of fury. He ordered the flames, uh, the furnace, to be seven times hotter. Then these men were bound in their coats and their hosen, their hats, and their garments, and they were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. I, I, it's as humorous to me. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew the men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was so intense that the men that threw them into the furnace, died on the spot. Well, that in itself would be a miracle to me when I saw that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not die like the other guys died immediately. The king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto him, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And I don't know where he got this revelation. I, I still can't figure out where this came from. But old Nebuchadnezzar said, And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. I don't know why or where he got that revelation, but he saw something spiritual taking place in that fire. The fire didn't hurt them. They didn't even smell like smoke when they came out of the furnace. I'm telling you that if you get salvation in your life, uh, that water can't wash it away and fire can't burn it out. The third thing I want to look at this morning, can the lions eat it up? Well, you know where I'm going, don't you? Have many ever heard of Daniel? We've had a few Daniels in our church before. Not him. In the sixth chapter of Daniel, there were men that hated Daniel and his prayer life. Everybody's not going to be excited about your relationship with God. Everybody's not going to love you because you love God. 
Everybody's not going to be happy about the commitments that you make to God and the choices that you make concerning uh, your walk with God. There's some that will despise you, hate you, they'll be jealous of you, and they'll condemn you, talk about you behind your back, and do anything in the world to hurt you. And because, the reason is because they can't do it themselves, and they're feeling so guilty, and so they want to kill you because you are doing it. Daniel was one of those kind of people. He had a prayer life. And these men persuaded the king to sign a decree that anyone who prayed to anyone besides the king should be thrown into the lion's den. sounded good to the king, and so he signed that decree. The king liked Daniel and really didn't want him to be thrown into the lion's den. But once a king signs a decree, there's not much you can do to change it. Then the king arose very early in the morning after they had thrown him into that lion's den. King didn't want it. He talked to Daniel. He said, I'm sorry about this. Maybe your God will deliver you. This was a heathen king saying this. And he threw him into the lion's den, had him thrown in there. But the king rose up very early the next morning and went in haste into the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a loud voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said, Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? And I don't know if he expected immediate results, but he got immediate response. Daniel said unto him, King, O king, live forever. My God, my God hath sent his angel and hath shut the mouths of the lion that they have not hurt me. Can I tell somebody here today that I don't care what comes against you I don't care what force it is, what spirit it is, what law enforcement it is. I don't care what kind of organization comes against you. If you will stand firm and let your salvation work in you, God can close the mouths, the effectiveness of that enemy that's coming against you. A lot of people want to fight their own battles, but I'm going to tell you, just get out of the way and stand still and let God show up and take care of your problems. We used to have a man went to this church. He had all kind of problems on his job. And I, I saw him. He came to church several times and he just had a defeated look on his face. And he, he said, Brother Gandhi, I, you can't imagine the stuff I'm going through. He said, my boss hates me. My boss gives me all the bad jobs. Anything that he or nobody else wants to do, he gives it to me. And he said, they intentionally make it rough and bad on me. And he said, I don't know what to do. And I said, I do. I said, we're going to pray about it. And we started praying. I said, now God, this is one of your children. You've said you wouldn't put more on us than we could bear. Yeah. 
and he's just about to come fall apart and go under. He's just about had all he can take. I'm asking you to take control on this, over this, and to fix it and to work it out. And I'm telling you, we prayed a few times about it. And about two weeks later, he came to church with a big grin on his face. I said, what are you grinning about? He said, you won't believe it. I said, well, try me. He said, I went to work today and they fired my boss and they gave me his job. Now I'm the boss. I'm telling you, folks, you need to start praying and believing God when you have opposition. When it feels like the devil's come against you. When it feels like people are becoming your enemy. When it feels like there's too much pressure and stress. Back up and look at it with a, uh, an eye of faith and say, All right, God, this is not my problem anymore. I am turning it over to you. You're going to show up and work in my behalf. And he'll do it if you pray and believe. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Woo. Man, I bring my phone up here, and the reason I bring it up here is to keep myself from preaching too long. And all that talking that I did this morning, I forgot to look when I started. I apologize. I apologize. But you know what? I'm coming to a close. How many of you know what that means? Literally nothing. But I really am. Well, can jails hold this? I didn't tell y'all to come up here and say, don't rush me. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's a wonder I got anybody to work with me. In Acts 16, 16, it tells us that Paul and Silas were beaten with many stripes and placed in prison. You read that and you've got to think, boy, those guys must have been bad individuals. What did they do? What did they do to deserve that? Preach the gospel, cast out a few demons. That's what they did. And got them thrown and beaten and thrown in prison. And the average person, and I'll say this, the average Pentecostal, if you want to disagree with me, just don't do it right now. But the average Pentecostal, if that would have happened to us, we'd been singing, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows. We would have been crying and we'd get on our cell phones and send out blanket emails, pray. You don't know how bad I got it. We'd be telling everybody how bad it was instead of how good God is. We would give them all the gloomy details of how bad I've been done wrong. And we would feel sorry for ourselves. Now, I didn't say all of us. I said most Pentecostals. And we're definitely not the only ones. I'll just go and throw it out there. Most Christians or so-called Christians. 
would start feeling sorry and belly aching and moaning and groaning and saying, God, why have you allowed this to me? Come on, give me a good old Baptist nod. You know that's the truth. You know it's the truth. But at midnight, what is midnight? Darkest time of the night. Locked in the center of the prison with blood still oozing out of the cuts on their back from the beating they just received. And Paul and Silas began singing praises unto God. You got to think about that. You just got to get that picture in your mind. And you can't really do that because none of us have ever had that kind of beating. You know that's the truth. None of us have. You've never been beat up like that. You've never had cuts that open up big wounds in your back. Horrible beating. But at midnight, they began to sing praises unto God. Praises unto God. Not complaints, not griping and belly aching, but praises unto God. And I'll say this, because of their faith, their praises to God, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors opened and everybody's bonds were loosed. Prisoners could not understand what was happening but all of a sudden all their doors were open. They were all loosed. And Paul and Silas Told him, let's don't leave. Let's all stay here. Because the jailer was just about to take his sword and kill himself. Paul said, don't do yourself any harm. Put up your sword. And that man was so impressed by what was going on. He was so moved and impacted by what he just witnessed. That he asked the greatest question ever asked. What must I do or what shall I do to be saved? And Paul went on to tell him you got to believe first. And then he took him out and baptized him in the name of the Lord. And everywhere Paul and Silas went, they baptized people in Jesus' name. Many of them, they laid hands on them and they immediately received the Holy Ghost. Some of them, they didn't even get to lay hands on them. They just prayed for them and the Holy Ghost fell on them. And they began to speak in tongues. I'm telling you, you can't lock this thing up. You can't feed it to the lions and, and let them eat it up. You can't wash it away and you can't burn it up. Once you get this salvation inside of you, you get that new inside, you're going to be different. And your life is going to be different. And your family is going to be different. And your future is going to be different. Would you stand? My greatest desire for this church is that we go to heaven together. I started make, making mention of this 
a few months ago because it dawned on me we don't talk about that enough we don't say it enough and I'm going to say it more than I've ever said we're going to go to heaven together we're in this thing to win we're planning on going to heaven we're planning on being saved and the only way that's going to happen is you got to keep that salvation where it needs to be you got to keep it in your heart you got to have it inside of you in such a way. Wait, I just found you got the Holy Ghost a few weeks ago. My Lord, have mercy. I'm excited about that. That just excites me all over more than anywhere else. Thank you. I believe we're going to have a lot of people get the Holy Ghost. I prayed this morning. Don't let us go very long without baptizing somebody in Jesus' name and fill them with the Holy Ghost. If you want to be a candidate, we'll pray with you. If you want to get baptized, we can fill our baptistry tank up in about 15 minutes with good warm water. And I'm praying God don't let us go long without baptizing somebody. Somebody shout it. We got to have that, Lord. Come on, we got to have it, Lord. Don't let us go long without seeing somebody get the Holy Ghost. And baptize in his name. I want freedom in our altars. Amen. Everybody say in Jesus name. We come against that spirit of COVID. We bind that disease in the name of the Lord. And we claim victory back in our altars. Back in our church. Back in our organization. Back in our Sunday school. and our youth department. I'm praying for revival to break out. Somebody say, we got to have revival. Yeah. 